Hi there, and welcome to my podcast show. In this episode, I get to speak with Alaskan-born Dr. Marky Twist, a licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health counsellor. She's also co-author of the books, The Internet Family, Technology and Couple and Family Relationships, The Couple and Family Technology Framework, Intimate Relationships in a Digital Age. We got to discuss the term digisexuality and the impact that digital technologies are having on intimate relationships in today's digital world. Was Kat Hurtline and I, and um, we we first developed the framework back in 2012, and Kat actually wrote a paper on the framework first that was published in Family Relations in 2012, and then we solidified and, and extended the framework a bit. In 2013, we wrote our first book, which was, which was actually called The Couple and Family Technology Framework. That was the main title. Did kind of an updated second edition, informal second edition to the book that published last year in 2019. And that one's called The Internet Family. And that's an even more updated extended framework. And I think you're right. I think the thing of it is, is like you mentioned, and we talked about last time, there are so many obstacles and challenges people face in relation to technology, you know, there in Ireland, other places in the West, and certainly all over, you know, the world in various ways. And there isn't really a framework for how to address those challenges and then how to accentuate the benefits. Because if technology was all bad, um, then none of us would want to use it, right? And so... It, it can't be all bad. And the problem is so many people focus on the negatives of it and forget that there's also positives. So, um, you know, some some of the, the positives are like, it's fun. You know, if you're in a long distance relationship, you can manage that better, which is doing amazing things for people all over the world. Like right now, we're having this conversation, which we would not have been able to have. And and um, your podcast is reaching so many people, which is exciting, right? And so we're creating a global sense of connection. Um, and that means there, there's more support. There's like more options for relationships. Uh, you can build intimacy through technology, which is exciting. So those are some of the benefits, right? But like there's bad sides too, right? Are there certain negatives that you see more in, in kind of like your area, like Ireland or, um, I think just in your line of work? Well, I, I would say just from, just from what you read in the paper, you know, nobody at the moment, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, um, young parents that are, and, and certainly not in the educational system anymore because it belongs to, it almost belongs to a bygone age. It's just that in-between phase where they don't know how there, there's been some, some news stories that have been, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to get in, into that on, the, on this, on this podcast. Yeah. But they've actually been really shocked at what you've read and, you know, and they're quite young. They're 14, they're 13. Yeah. And it's like, that's like from, they're not getting any, any awareness. Things have to change because I think it's the rapid pace yeah. of change. It's not just here, Marky though. It's in developing countries because they're going straight into this with the mobile phone. 
you know there's yes. kind of like and all of a sudden like it's just you know you go from one extreme like say in places like the middle east where things are very limited and very hidden to all of a sudden you go in your lunch break and you can have whatever you want so it's yeah you know, for kids you know that's so, a great observation yeah. that's right and so i think you're right globally we're facing some obstacles like physical concerns cheating safety bullying loneliness depression anxiety um out of control behaviors predators you know online predators with children i mean it really is out of control and so what cat and i did cat hurtline and i did was we took a look at you know kind of what are the benefits what are the negatives and how can we make a framework for families and people in relationships to include technology in meaningful ways but also be thoughtful about the technology so protecting themselves more um against some of these adversities that everyone is facing um and then we we wrote about it and and the internet family has practical tools for both like clinicians and medical providers and social workers and counselors but it also has practical tools for parents and adolescents and families um and we developed what we called the couple and family technology framework and what that framework is is it draws from different fields um so it looks at family studies and family therapy and computer technology and information systems and media studies and psychology and communication studies so it looks at all those different fields and it we took data and theory from those different fields and we said let's investigate the effect of technology on relationships let's just look at what technology does in relationships the good the bad the indifferent let's just look at that and then we came up with a framework and what we what we did and i can send you just the image of it cuz that image might be helpful for people to see it's a three part framework one is there are changes to the structure of relationships um connected to technology and i'll go into that more in, in detail then there's changes to process how does it actually affect the process of relationships And then finally there are set there are eight ecological elements which are the different kind of situational factors that influence the the structure and the process of our relationship with technology and it's those eight ecological influences that I think are the the kind of easiest for people to address pretty readily like they're not difficult for people to um to just kind of have almost a checklist hanging on their fridge at home and being like how am i addressing this one issue in relation to our technology right so we really wanted this framework to be accessible to professionals and also just everyday people because both cat and i even though we're both therapists and we're both researchers um and we're teachers we're also both parents um and we also both have families and you know our kids are only 6 months apart um you know they're they're both 12 right now 
And so like 12 is a really vulnerable age just in general. And now with technology, there's differences around vulnerability than maybe when I was younger or you were younger. Um, and so let me kind of break down those two different parts, the structure and the process. And then if you have follow up questions, I can elaborate and then I can go into the ecological elements. And like I said, I'll send you uh, the image of this so that people can see it because that'll be helpful. But in terms of structure, technology affects relationships this way. First, it affects the rules. So relational systems or families, if you want to call it that for shorthand, need to come up with rules about technology. And then it isn't just you, you have to do that once. You're going to have to do it over and over and over again. Because as your kids grow and change or as your relationship with a partner grows and changes, the technology is also growing and changing, right? So like, let's say that that your kids, when they're young, are using like, I don't know, like an Xbox system, right? Like an actual system, a console that's with a television. Well, that's static, that stays in place. So you might have certain rules when they're young about when to use it and for how long. But as they get older, guess what? Like Xbox systems might be portable, nothing but portable. They might be just VR. And now you have to change the rules that your kids have in relation to that system because the technology changed just like your kids have changed, right? So you have to come up with rules as a family and then you have to revisit them over time. Um, and, and really the best way to think about the technology then, and I think we talked about this last time, is think of technology as if it's a member of your family as well. So like, what's everybody's relationship with the technology? You know, many people have Alexas or, you know, Google voice equivalents in their homes. Does Alexa come to dinner with you? You know, do you ask Alexa questions at dinner time or do you turn Alexa off, right? Like Alexa is like a member of the family. So when is Alexa invited and when is Alexa not? And what are those rules? The next part of structure is the roles. So you have to decide what's the role of the technology in people's lives. Um, and for some people who might be more kind of a Luddite, you know, they want to live off the grid then technology doesn't really have a role in their life. Having said that, guess what? Almost anybody can be found. Like if you Google people and you're specific enough, you can find anybody, even if they've never even been online. I mean, my my grandma, for example, before she died, you know, a decade ago, she never was online, but I can find tons of information about her, her obituary, you know, her birth date, her family history. So... Even if you aren't going to have an overt relationship with technology and that's not going to be the role in your life, you still have to think about the role that it's going to play. And if it is going to have a role, then to what extent? So, for example, to be honest, the role that technology plays in my own life is pretty professional. I don't actually use a lot of personal technology. Like, I don't play a lot of games. I don't... Um, I don't know. I don't go for the latest iPhone. Like I have an actual pretty old Samsung, you know, Android. I don't, um, I don't want like, I don't even have headphones that are like, you know, wireless. I mean, I really only have a professional relationship. I use my technology for work.
almost exclusively. But that's a different role than like my partner. So my partner loves technology, always gets the latest gadgets, wants to invite technology into the home a lot. And now my kid um, has been influenced by that and definitely loves technology more than I do. But the great news is the role that it plays in my partner's life is, um, I think, such a good role model for my kid. Like, he's very balanced about it, but makes it fun, but also makes it educational. So, like, my child has someone who's acting as a role model on how to use technology in meaningful ways, right? And also, because he plays so many of the games with the kid, that means that there's someone interacting with the kid. It's just like playing a game offline, right? It's just like doing it before technology and the kid's definitely still being supervised. So deciding on the role is really important. Um, and then the boundaries. Um, privacy is, is one of the most important things people worry about challenge-wise with technology, especially for kids. Um, like what are going to be the boundaries and who's going to manage them? Am I going to have like a guard on my technology or not? Um, am I going to, you know, I know many people who, when their kids get social media, most of the ages for social media is like 13 and up. Many parents and guardians have a rule that like, I either have to be your friend and or I, I have to be able to log into your accounts, right? Like I have to be able to see what you're doing if you want to have these things. And so that's, that's a matter of like managing the boundaries, helping the kid maintain privacy, but also you're kind of, you're, you're violating some of their privacy, right? Because they're still a kid. But the thing of it is, is you can't safeguard for all of that. And so doing the best you can to be considerate of boundaries and discussing them is important. The other thing to think about, depending on what kind of social media you have as a person, you know, I don't know if you want to be friends with your kids online. I don't, I don't know what your social media shows, but you have to think about like your kids are going to be able to find stuff out about you too. Um, and, and so that's important to think about in terms of boundaries as well. Um, the other thing to consider in terms of boundaries is like, you know, a lot of parents very well intentioned, but the research shows that especially new parents will post like tons of pictures of, of their kids and videos, uh, early on, right? Like, and you have to remember that that then your kids, you know, that's a digital footprint that's being created about them well before they even have awareness of themselves in relation to the world and just in relation to themselves. And so, you know, I really caution people on posting a lot of things because anybody can download those images and they can be used in all sorts of ways. And the thing of it is, is sometimes predators, that's how they, you know, find kids. I mean, it, it, you know, I understand wanting to be prideful about your children. I get it. You know, really think about that digital footprint. I sometimes will really encourage people with adults and other parents to, to ask permission before you post anything. Most teachers and medical providers will have to get written consent before they post things. But even just verbal consent can help. And then you can use the hashtag with consent so that, you know, there's kind of a record that at least, you know, someone was informed and helped make, made an informed decision. 
And I can I can tell you a, a kind of a horror story. When my kid was about four, they had very, very long hair, which is, you know, lots of kids do. And they decided one day to cut cut it on their own. And like half of it they cut and there's this huge clump of hair on the ground that they kind of tried to hide under the couch. And I found it and I was like, hey, what happened? And they're like, oh, I just wanted to cut my hair. You know, it, it we can put it back on. And I was like, that's not how hair works. Like you can't actually just put it back on. And they were very upset because they loved their hair. It's long again now, but... But they were very upset. And I, of course, thought this was cute. Like, this is all kids do this kind of. So I took a picture of it and I posted it on Facebook. And months later, uh, they're at a family gathering on, on their on their dad's side of the family. And one of their great uncles sees them and says, oh, Leif, it looks like your hair's growing back really well. And my poor kid is mortified, like shocked. Like, how do you know about that? He's like, oh, I saw the picture on Facebook. And that was it. Like, this five-year-old kid comes home because I wasn't at the event and schools me. Like, is like, it is totally not okay for you to post things of me without my permission. Like, that is not okay. And I was like, okay, I won't do that again. You got served, um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, so boundaries. Like, you know, you're not the one as a parent who sometimes will have to deal with the implications of the things you publish about your child, but they might have to deal with those implications in the future. Not only worrying about predators from the outside and bullying from the outside is important boundary-wise, but also worrying about what are you doing to your kid that might not even just be embarrassing, but might actually be like really problematic in the future. So that's the structural components of the model. And, and this isn't, none of this is, is designed, the framework is not designed to like only focus on negative. It's also about positives. It's also about like, it's really just about managing your relationship with your technology. It really is just being thoughtful about your relationship. And you're absolutely right. Like the best way to think of technology is anything that you put out there is literally out there. <laughs> it is. It is like paper, only it can't really be easily burned, you know? I mean, it's like writing it on rock, you know? Like, it's it's hard to break it, and it just, nothing you really write is ever, is ever secret, not really. So, like, just being aware of that, that doesn't mean you have to be paranoid, it just means... Thought. Mindful, I yeah. think, is a very good good word about it. And right now, yes. because of the lack of education, I mean, this is another reason, you know, I'm not going to get into it on this podcast, but it's very difficult to regulate tech because tech regulation involves a certain type of person, which I would consider a unicorn. You need to be a barrister, you yep. need to be a technologist. And even the barristers I know that are doing this, they're very skilled in certain areas, but they don't have all the pieces. They might be very strong in the area of law, but they don't have the technology piece and they don't have the security piece. You know, there's bits missing. There's very, uh, these people are polymaths really because, so my concern is that's the ethics. They're doing stuff around the ethics, the Center for Humane Technology. Yep. I really love what they're doing. We've got a long way to go, but I, and I really believe in, in decentralized technologies. It's the next wave of technologies. It's just how to use all of them and to introduce another level of education into the, in, into the schooling, yep. the schooling system because school education is irrelevant now. 
Agreed. So the next part is process. So one side of the framework is is that structure and how technology affects that and is affected by it. And then the other side is process. And so the process implications are this, like first formation. Technology influences how we form relationships now. Um, like online dating, intimacy, uh, the demographics, availability. People can now form relationships in ways that just were not possible uh, before technology really exploded in the way it has. Like I remember when it was still considered uh, really, you know, unique to have met someone online and start dating them. Uh, unless you were in some kinds of like, like similar gender couples have been meeting online and dating longer than differing gender counterparts because you, you couldn't be out, you know, um, in certain places. I mean, you still can't. Um, and so it was a safer place to meet people. Um, and now lots of people meet online. I mean, I met my primary partner online. Um, and, and, you know, we've been together four years and we're both in, in like the technology industry. Um, so it definitely has changed the way that we meet people. And some people think that like that also influences intimacy and it does. What we, what we know from the research is actually when you, when you have chat, you know, when you start chatting with someone online and you text, that actually builds intimacy more quickly. Then if you were to meet in person or even talk on the phone or do a video call, and some of that's because people can be thoughtful about what they text to each other. They can present the way they want to. They can, you know, uh, control the pace of the conversation. They might disclose things that they wouldn't have disclosed in person because it's more anonymous. And so you might feel really close to someone that you've met through like, okay, Cupid or plenty of fish or, you know, whatever it is just through text-based communication. And then actually when you meet them, it might not feel as intimate. It might not feel the same because the, the intimacy changes um, when you use text-based communication. The intimacy also changes when you're with someone longer. So even if you use text-based communication in the beginning and, you know, you feel really close and you develop this close relationship and then you do start dating offline and then you form this long-term relationship, you don't usually use text-based communication the same way the longer you're in that relationship. In fact, as you move into that next part, which is maintenance, the maintenance of a relationship, technology influences that timing and that tempo too. So like... The way you use text-based and messaging later on in a relationship is usually as like a honey-do list. Like, you know, did you pick up the kids? Yes, I remembered to pick up the kids. Did you get the groceries? Yes, you know, I mean, it becomes more of this kind of day-to-day check-in and less about intimacy and connection. The other thing that happens maintenance-wise is we still have people that are like, you know, is it a real relationship until it's Facebook official? And some people might, you know, be out in their technology online and some people might not be about their relationships and people can get their feelings hurt if there's not a shared understanding of how are we going to appear uh, technology wise together or not. Right. And so 
having those conversations about the way that you're going to maintain your relationship through technology um, is also really important to consider, right? The final part of the process is disillusion, uh, disillusion. So technology also influences the ending of relationships. So like, for example, when your friends break up with each other and you're friends with both of them on Facebook, who keeps the friends? Like, and is that a mirror of whose friends offline too or not? And like, are they still friends? Like, did I find out because their status changed? Like, did they make an announcement? Do you make an announcement? Like, Facebook and social media and other things have changed the dissolution process. The other thing is starting, like, I want to say maybe a decade ago now, but I might be overextending that timeline. You could set a legacy person on your Facebook. So, like, I have a legacy person. I have someone who will be in charge of that social media when I die. Like, I've designated a person to do that, right? But you can also designate it so that that turns off, that it's not something that's maintained. And the fact that you can now have these cyberspace memorials or grave sites instead of a physical one or in addition to has really changed how we conceptualize endings in terms of relationships. I mean, brother died about 12 years ago and has a Facebook page. And I, I maintain the Facebook page. And, you know, that's a nice way sometimes for friends to reminisce. But occasionally I'll get somebody who thinks my brother is alive and is like, hey, man, how you been? And I have to, like, re-break that news you know, probably like once every couple of years. And so that probably wouldn't have happened in exactly the same way if we didn't have technology and the relationship we have with technology. Having said that, technology has also done some pretty amazing things, you know, for the end of life. Like people can join groups. Like I'm part of a sibling loss support group on Facebook. That's wonderful. I get to be connected to people all over the world who have experienced that kind of loss. And it's so comforting to have that connection. And, you know, that would have been really hard to do on a global level like that before the advent of, of this modern wave of technology. What's important to consider here then is in terms of our framework, just like technology is affected by and affects the structure of relationships, it also is affected by and affects the process of our relationships, the formation, the maintenance, and the dissolution. And you have to be aware of each one of those components as you're thinking about your relationship with technology. So the probably what I consider to be the most important part of this framework is the ecological elements. And that's the third part. And there are eight different parts to this. And it just so happens they all start with the letter A, at least in English. And so that's acceptability, anonymity, accessibility, affordability, approximation, accommodation, ambiguity and accountability. And don't worry, I'll, I'll break down each of those really briefly. If you pay attention to these different technology-based ecological elements, then you can actually have exchanges that are more informed 
and more ethical and more intimacy enhancing. If you don't pay attention to these elements, then you tend to have greater vulnerabilities and then you can have more harm um, because you're not addressing kind of the natural elements that happen with technology and relationships. So the first one is accessibility. And this is basically the idea that guess what? Uh, daily, anywhere, unlimited accessibility from virtually anywhere is what technology offers. And so you could be at the Grand Canyon or in the middle of the ocean for the most part and still be able to connect to everybody all the time. And one of the biggest impacts this had on relationships is what we call the negative work spillover. So like many of us are never not working now. And so it's really important to set aside time, create boundaries. You have to create boundaries. Once again, now we're back to the structure of and how that's affected by accessibility. Like, for example, I tell my students, you know, if you send me an email, I'm not going to respond. I, I have up to 48 hours to respond. Like, it just because it could come to me immediately doesn't mean I'm going to drop everything and answer that email. Right. So I give people about a 48 day, 48 hour window, 48 day, 48 hour window. Okay. But other people have to make their own choices around accessibility, affordability. Most technology is now pretty affordable. Uh, there also isn't a lot of receipts that come with technology. And so this can really affect how people spend money. Like a lot of people will be spending money and not even know that they're really spending money. And that's how you end up going on like an Amazon spree without even knowing what you're spending. So like just remembering to keep money in mind, it's hard to do because we don't really use paper money the same way anymore. And we don't really have those receipts. And so being thoughtful about the affordability really is another ecological element. One way that gets affected is who pays for it. So like if you're in a family system, and the parents pay for it, then guess what? In many ways, the kids aren't in control of it. Like, you know, I'm sorry, but your parents own it, you know? So having those conversations about affordability is important. For example, recently my kid bought their own gaming system because their dad and I were not buying them one. We're like, you can save the money and you can buy it. We're still gonna regulate it, but then you own it. I mean, it really is yours. So they have a different relationship with it because they paid for it. It feels really personal to them in a different way. The other thing to think about is even though most technology for most people is pretty affordable now, things like AI, advanced AI and robots and dolls and stuff like that are still not very affordable. So even though people are kind of freaking out about this idea of second wave digisexuality, most people cannot afford to go out and buy a $10,000 real life doll. Okay, so so th we're kind of far off from that at this point. Anonymity. Technology makes it so you can enhance your ability to promote any chosen identity you might have. And so you can hide aspects of who you are and hide relationships. And that's a product of anonymity, right? And so like catfishing is a good example of anonymity. And so being thoughtful for yourself about how anonymous you're going to be and what the impact of that is as well as how anonymous you see other people being is another ecological element to definitely be considering, right? Acceptability. This is probably one of my favorite ecological elements because I feel like this one grows and changes pretty rapidly. This is the idea that 
that behaviors that might have been unacceptable at one time via technology or even not without the technology, just in general, are now acceptable are still ambiguous. So, for example, I remember when people would start going out to dinner with their phones and many people would be very offended when people would get on their phones. And I kind of feel like that's changed a little bit, at least for certain generations. I think now that's become more acceptable. I think people are now like, oh, it's really okay if we're on our phone a little bit, as long as we're like sharing it with each other, we're still talking to each other. But I, what I would caution people in with acceptability is don't assume that just because you think something is acceptable technology wise that other people think it's acceptable. So like, I think it is important to have those conversations. I think all of these elements are important to talk about, but that one, especially like what I like at dinner with friends and family is I'll say, why don't we put our tech away and then we'll have a technology break. Like we'll get on our tech, you know, for like five minutes and we'll share that time, but it'll be an arranged time that we all agree on. So none of us are feeling excluded or left out or that our, that our feelings aren't hurt. Um, same with like online dating. Again, that used to not really be acceptable. Now many people feel like that's a very acceptable way to meet people. Approximation. The next one is approximation. And this is the quality that technology in the internet, internet approx real life situations. So it's that blurring between fantasy and reality. And so if you and I are talking this way, we're having a conversation together. Are we having it in, in real time? Is this real life? Yes, it is. But there's still some dis distance, but this is pretty close. Like this is almost what it would be like for us to sit down and just talk to each other, right? So it's getting closer and closer. Now, if we were doing this with VR, it would probably be even closer to real life, right? And so this is that approximation. And as we get further and further down the technology rabbit hole, we get closer and closer to approximating that boundary bet between what's real and what's fantasy. And, and I think this is where people start to get kind of freaked out between like VR and, and alternate reality type experiences versus like reality. I think, I think when you get into that wave, you start to have people that, that start to get a little bit more anxious because it starts to approx approximate real life. So for example, when I'm working with couples around like consensual non-monogamy or non-consensual non-monogamy, one of the things they'll be like is they're like, yeah, it's totally okay if you watch, you know, adult content online or online porn. I have no problem with that. That doesn't feel like cheating because it's not really approximate. These aren't what, exactly what they say, but this is how the ecological element shows up because that's not really like real life, right? It's like watching a movie, right? But if the person says, I'm going to get a VR headset and I'm going to start engaging in sexual encounters just in a movie still, not even with another person, sometimes the partner's like, no way, that's like cheating. See, because it starts to approximate real life more. And that for some people starts to make that, you know, kind of a no-go, right? And so dealing with this ecological element of approximation, I actually think this one's going to get more and more important to consider as we progress through technology. The next A is accommodation. So this is the idea that technology provi provides us with a greater opportunity for us to act one way in real time 
but to have a different persona or personas when we're online. So it's not the same thing as being anonymous. It's the idea that I can still be myself, but I'm just being other parts of who I am, right? So for example, you see this show up, this element shows up a lot in people whose identities are marginalized. So like one concept my colleagues and I developed is called electronic visibility management. Many gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender and queer identifying people offline will practice visibility management. Can I be out at work? Like if you're a teacher of elementary kids, especially if you're a gay male, it's really hard to be out in that environment because people have a lot of stereotypic ideas that are like wrong, but they still think that way. And so many people aren't out, but you might feel safe being out online, maybe. And so that's accommodation. How much does my online self mirror and reflect my offline self? Or are they really different worlds because I have to practice visibility management. This shows up in relationships a lot because sometimes people will be comfortable being out about certain parts of their life offline with their partner, but they aren't comfortable being out about stuff online and their partner is. And so sometimes you have to figure out how can we strike a balance for you two in terms of managing accommodation, right? The next element is ambiguity. And so, this again is is a really, I think this happens a lot. So, this is that difficulty defining what's problematic and what isn't. If you're friends with your ex online, is that okay or is that cheating? And so, technology brings up all these kind of ambiguous things that many of us are not certain about. One of the things I like to ask my students, for example, is like, is sexting sex? Right, if you like send, you know, flirtatious messages to people or pictures or whatever. Is that sex? And they're like, no, of course not. And I'm like, okay, but what if you're in a relationship and your partner is sexting other people? Are they cheating? And they're like, yes, they're absolutely cheating. And I'm like, okay, well then I'm confused. Which is it? Like, is that really a form of sex or is it not? Right. And so like ambiguity, figuring out what what is, what is definitionally something, how you interpret it, and then developing contracts around that, really important to do in managing this element. The last element, and this is the one we added in our 2019 book, in our 2013 book, when we went over this framework, we did not have this element in. But what happened was over time, we started to see this element emerge more and more, and that's accountability. This is the idea that when you're in the context of technology, it makes it difficult to manage your time and be attentive. So it's hard to be accountable for time and attentiveness when you're using technology. There is a high degree of temporal displacement that happens when people are on technology. Like, you know, it's easy to sit and watch Netflix and binge watch it forever, right? It's easy to just keep scrolling through, scrolling through like Reddit or Facebook and just keep going for hours and hours and hours and not notice it. Um, but this is the idea that you do have to think about the responsibility you have to the people in your life outside of technology. And so making sure that you're considering accountability and that element is really important as well. Probably the biggest way this shows up is like ghosting. You know, people will just not be accountable to people, whether it's online or offline. And so really having a clear conversation about like, What's the role of accountability around technology and your relationships? 
is also a really important part of the couple and family technology framework. And then with this framework, like I said, it's those three parts, ecological influences, changes to structure, changes to process, and then how all three of those parts interact with each other and technology in your relationships. And that's the model. I mean, that's the whole framework. And then in the book, there's tons of like forms and questions and contracts and different examples that people can use um, that help them just figure out how to manage their technology and their relationships through this lens. And, and that's the model. Thanks for listening and checking out my podcast. You can head over to Spotify and find my podcast there or on Apple iTunes. Subscribe to my podcast on my website. You can head over to www.inaom.io.